Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, two excellent conversations. First up, Amy Trask, the CBS Sports NFL analyst, of course, the former CEO of the Raiders. Um, she's always great on multiple NFL topics. We discussed the growth of the NFL draft, uh, how she views the draft today, getting to a little bit about the sort of the imperfect search for quarterbacks, talk about Dan Snyder's tenure, gambling suspensions in the league filled with gambling deals, and then we get into Rex and Nicholas, uh, totally uh, were smitten with that club and their incredible run through the uh, National League and the uh, in English football, and uh, incredible to see them promoted. So we finish with that. Ben Strauss comes on, and uh, we discussed the ESPN layoffs. We had not planned to discuss that, um, but it broke basically as we were taping this. So Ben and I discussed the ESPN layoffs, why they're happening, how it's going to impact um, employees there, um, the brutal decision to let go of longtime public relations staffer Mike Soltis, the uh, second most tenured person at ESPN. And then we get into the reason Ben was initially coming on here to talk about his uh, piece on how cable changed sports and what happens when fans cut the cord. So Amy Trask to start, Ben Strauss to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, bringing in one of my favorite people in the sports media business, Amy Trask. She is a CBS Sports NFL analyst, the author of You Negotiate Like a Girl, the former CEO of the Raiders. And I'm pleased to be joined by Amy Trask. Amy, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It really and truly is an honor and a pleasure to join you, and I appreciate the invitation to do so. 
Amy, I feel like you say that to, you do a lot of podcasts and I feel like you probably say that line. Do you not to almost every person you're coming on to the podcast with? I don't do as many podcasts as you might think. I'm very, very selective. And I don't say that to everybody. Sometimes I'll say pleasure. Sometimes I'll say, I look forward to it. I'll always appreciate the invitation, but I use the word honor very infrequently. (laughs) Wow. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm honored. All right. So I want to get your perspective just on the NFL draft writ large. Um, you know, you 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 were a central figure for the Raiders. You weren't in the draft room, but obviously everything they did when it came to the draft certainly impacted your job. So you've seen this thing grow into what is a uh, it's like a mammoth content play for ESPN, for the NFL Network, for ABC. We know its importance, obviously, when it comes to the league and replenishing talent, but. Uh, I don't know, just I wanted to get your reflections on it. You know, you were there in the whatever the late '80s or early '90s, and it wasn't this big, and now it's become a gargantuan part of the NFL calendar. You're absolutely right. Um, there has been exponential growth from the time I joined the league, which was in the mid '80s, until the time I left the league. I saw the draft grow and grow and grow. Um, not only in terms of broadcast growth, but in-person growth. You know, cities and 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 teams and regions are now vying for the draft, and tons of people are going there to be there for the draft. It's really become quite an event. So, Amy, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm not. I don't think you are on this weekend per se to do any kind of NFL draft um, analysis. But for your job at CBS Sports, obviously, um, you have to know all the players in the league. You have to know what each of the teams have decided to do. So when it comes to this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, how do you, how will you personally consume this? Well, we are going to do a show prior to the draft. You're absolutely right. I won't be on air during the draft, talking about the picks, predicting the picks, discussing the picks. I won't be doing any of that, but we will be doing a show leading into um, the day before the draft or two days before the draft. I'm not sure which. I haven't, you know, yesterday on Twitter or the other day on Twitter, I got a date wrong. So I'm not even going to try to give you an exact date on anything right now. Uh, You know, I don't and I never have gotten into player by player analysis during my years with the team. I was entirely focused on our team. And now I look at the draft from a sort of high level down view, as people often say, a 10,000 foot view. I don't look player by player by player. Um, I'll keep an eye on it. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to fill out rosters prior to the draft and free agency and trading during the draft and then between the draft and the start of the season. So rosters will still be in flux. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and again, it it sort of be a little bit of um, speculative analysis on your part, because you obviously haven't been uh, working for an NFL team for a little bit. But how do you think NFL front offices feel about mock drafts. And when I say the mock drafts, I'm talking from like the significant people like the Mel Kuypers or Daniel Jeremiah's, Todd McShay's. Um, I'm sure they consume it, but do you know like if and what it means to them, if anything? Variety of views. I can tell you that the team owner for whom I worked, Al Davis, didn't give a damn about what anyone else said, what anyone else's mock was, 
boy, there was one instance in which we were, it was speculated that we were going to draft a certain player and everyone that was doing a mock draft and everyone that was analyzing the draft was, you know, announcing ahead of time, here's who the Raiders are going to take. And it's a horrible pick. And they went on and on and on for weeks, if not more about what a bad pick it would be. He didn't care. He didn't care one bit. And I will always remember draft day. He's up in the draft room. I'm downstairs tending to all of our business issue because every single business department is busy on draft day with a variety of responsibilities. And all of a sudden, someone comes running up to me and says, grab the phone. Al wants to talk to you. So I go over, I grab the phone, and he says the following to me. We're going to take them. We're going to get killed for it. You're going to have to handle it. Click. So he really, really didn't care about mocks and didn't care what anyone was predicting for us or what they were saying about those they predicted we might take. Other teams, I think, care more than that. Do you remember the player? You know, I, I kind of don't want to name his name. I would feel kind of badly. I, I Let's just go with, you know, the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Fair, all right, fair enough. Um, do you think that there are NFL teams that will intentionally tell some of the more well-known mock people maybe some misinformation to try to get that out there in the event that other teams are reading these mock drafts? Absolutely, positively, yes. Um, I think that people are spinning. They're giving misinformation. You know, I remember during my years in the league, you know, saying to colleagues at other teams, you didn't really tell someone that, did you? And getting the, oh, oh yeah, we did, we did. Um, you know, there are teams that will give out misinformation for the purpose you said. The, the thing that many people do, and this is really, really my peeve, and it's more than a peeve, it infuriates me, are the anonymous sources, the people who will speak of players anonymously and trash them in an effort to drive their value down in hopes that that player will be available when it's that team's turn to pick. I mean, look, these are young men coming out of college, about to embark on a career and a self-proclaimed or, a, you know, a, someone touted to be a, quote, grown up, close quote, is trashing a player anonymously. It infuriated me while I was in the league. It still does. You want to say something about a player? Put your name on it. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, I think it's getting a little bit better. It's still not where it should be. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm glad that people who have some prominence in the television NFL space uh, speak out on this as um, as you have. One of the things, Amy, again, I know you're not in scouting, but you know you did work for um, uh, you worked at the highest levels for a team. Uh, and one of the clear things is just the. <laughs> the the desire to get a franchise quarterback it's you know i don't know if there's another position in sports where the 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 prominence of a franchise's fortunes can singularly change with one position so i went back to the 2008 nfl draft uh just for for fun when i knew i was going to talk to you number one pick in that draft was baker mayfield um still in the league but obviously has never become like a franchise player sam darnold went number three Sort of the you know starter, but again, not a franchise player, and who you might hope at number three. Josh Allen at number seven, obviously, has become uh, you know an All Pro franchise player. Josh Rosen was at number ten. Um, 
that did not happen. Lamar Jackson, number 32, became a franchise quarterback. Mason Rudolph at 76, uh, um, I think basically a backup in the league. My point is, man, like if you go through all these drafts when it comes to quarterbacks, and we're doing this again with all this over-analysis and all this analysis, et cetera, it's human scouting. It's just like, <laughs> even with all our science, Amy, and everything else, you still can't get it perfect. And it's just amazing. Even literally, I looked at a draft five years ago, and three of the top 10 picks who were quarterbacks did not fulfill where their draft station would be. It's just, it's so fascinating to me how much goes into this. And yet three years later, you can be in the same place. Well, and I love that you use the word science because I am fond of saying, and because I've turned into my mother, I repeat myself a lot. So I'm going to repeat <laughs> it again. Um, the draft is not a science. There's no Enigma code. There's no Rosetta Stone. There's no formula. It's not a science. Look at just the other year. The 49ers traded umpteen picks one year to get a quarterback. And the next year, they got Brock Purdy with the final pick in the draft. The pick denominated Mr. Irrelevant, which, by the way, is kind of rude. Uh, but, you know, they take Brock Purdy with the last pick in the draft, and he shows a lot of promise. So 31 teams, I don't know, maybe there were 30 teams. I don't remember how many first round picks there were that year, but a lot of teams passed on Brock Purdy. Last pick in the draft. It, yeah. And again, that just sort of tells you that it's um, it's the exact opposite of science. Um, exactly. A lot of, you know, it has to do with fit. Um, but it's, it's, you know, again, like I, I get that you have to try to get a quarterback, but it's kind of also fascinating to me just how many picks are ultimately wasted on, if maybe that's the wrong word, but how many picks are used in that position where you don't get commensurate value of where you would pick in the draft. And I, you know, while I certainly don't root for this, the odds are that all the quarterbacks that are picked in this year's first round, some of them are not going to be successful. A couple well, might, but the, the the reality is if history is the right trend, you know, there's going to be somebody picked very high who's a quarterback who doesn't make it. Well, you are, of course, absolutely right. And again, I think that the 49er example from a couple years ago is the perfect example. I think they gave up three number ones or used three number ones for Trey, got Brock with the final pick in the draft, and we've seen what's happened there. It's not a science. And that's why I'm always so stumped when people will cast shade on teams who will trade for a veteran and they'll give up a draft pick to get an established proven veteran at any position, why wouldn't you want a proven veteran that you know can contribute to your team when you know the draft isn't a science? Let me get to two non-draft. Uh, uh, oh, by the way, you never did tell me where, so where are you going to be? Where are you going to watch the draft? Will you watch it at your house? Uh, to the extent I watch any of it, and I will watch a lot, but I probably won't watch it all. I will be doing it at home. Um, and by the way, I will just tell you one thing. You're absolutely right. I'm not a scout. I wasn't in the draft room. You're right on every point you made. Doesn't mean I kept my mouth shut, just so you know. I did always weigh in with Al. Whenever he'd call me from the draft room, he would tell me what we were doing. I was up to date, and I would offer my opinion, which, by the way, was not always well-received. All right. Well, the, so now I can uh, now Raider fans know that it was you who always wanted the speed receivers that, that were. <laughs> and and Al always said to me, "Kid, never leave a team without corners." Yeah, that's correct. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. 
With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, let me ask you a couple of questions about sort of some larger things uh, happening in the league. Um, it looks like Dan Snyder has um, uh, is about to finally exit this league. Um, how do I sort of phrase this question? Like, is it really just that hard to get rid of an owner who does not make your league <laughs> look good, just sort of in blunt terms, because like, um, there's so many ways to sort of go about Dan Snyder. I think he's just he he's he he's been a terrible owner. I particularly think he's a very good human being either. But the 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 fact that he was able to stay in that position for as long as he did ultimately is a really bad optic for the league. Yet it seems like Amy, and you'd be sort of closer to this than me. There weren't many ways to get rid of the guy, right? Unless uh, he either sold or you got whatever it is, three quarters of the owners to vote on X. And it seems like the owners never, you never get three quarters of the owners to vote on X. And and look, look at the contrast between the Dan Snyder, you know, the process and the progress and, and it's not done yet versus Jerry Richardson. And the difference being Jerry just said, okay, I'll go. Um, because the thought of getting three quarters of the ownership, as you just noted, to vote someone out. I find that, um, I mean, I, I won't say it would never, ever happen because something could happen such that it would prompt that, but it is hard for me to envision that sort of vote ever taking root and passing. So Jerry, when the pressure was there, opted out quickly. Uh, Dan, as we've seen, it's been quite a progress. But what, so look, tell me, uh, so if you can give my listeners some insight, like, why is that? Are they, wh- why can't you, I mean, I guess, you know, you, your response would be, well, why can't we get, <laughs> why can't we get the Congress to, uh, to agree on certain things? Like, I get it, but like, literally, is it that hard to get 26 of 32 uh, people in that room to agree on something? It depends. Quite often, it is not. On something like this, I do believe it's hard. Um, there's a lot of, I don't know the word I want to use, positioning, um, trading, bargaining. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's, you know, hey, I could use your vote on this. Hey, do you need my vote on this? Um, The league likes collaborative votes. They like a vote that's just going to slide through. You've seen instances, Richard, we all have where something is clearly not going to pass, let's say from the competition committee. So rather than take the vote, they'll pull it as opposed to have it fail. Um, You know, I think it's just very, very, very different when it comes to equity ownership. It's a different feel. It's an issue of a different magnitude. Putting Green Bay aside, of course, because that is a publicly owned franchise, you have 31 individuals. And it's they're not, look, um, the league requires each team to have someone who's denominated a principal owner. Most teams are owned by many, many people, multiple ownership, but you have one principal owner. So when we refer to the 31 owners, we're recognizing that it's 31 principal owners with other owners in place as well in most instances it's hard to get 31 people to agree on something that's going to involve equity ownership, the likes of which they have. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that makes sense. Um, all right. A couple more here before we get to uh, the topic of Wrexham, which I know both of us want to talk about. Um, the, the NFL has to navigate some really <sighs> tricky terrain here, Amy, in that we just saw that there were a number of uh, Detroit Lions players who were suspended 
for various forms of gambling. Um, you know, it seems that some maybe bet on NFL games where a couple others, I think, were suspended for maybe betting on college football while at the Lions facility. Um, and then I sort of read the NFL outlaws betting of any kind at a team facility. The, the, some might call this hypocrisy. Some might call it real tricky navigation. But how does this league navigate, Amy, um, dealing with gambling, gambling suspensions as they absolutely take in millions and millions of dollars from gambling entities who sponsor, um, who sponsor their businesses on all sorts of NFL programming and within all sorts of NFL structures? I'll answer that in a couple ways. The rules that are in place are collectively bargained as between the league and the players association and players may not like or agree with the rules. Coaches may not, staff may not, the public may not, you and I may not agree with the rules, but the rules are in place and it is absolutely incumbent on each and every team to do absolutely everything that team can to educate the players. It's absolutely understandable for a player to think, well, I'm betting on my college basketball team in, in the NC2A tournament. You know, I went to school X and my team is in the NC2A tournament and wow, the women are going to go far and I want to bet on my college team. Let me use my phone and let me use it from the locker room. Who would ever think that just because you use that phone in the locker room, you were violating a rule? It's incumbent on the teams to educate the players as to the rules, whether they agree or any of us agree with the rules or not. Look, here's an example. When I was in the league, one of the rules was if you were on staff, if you were any sort of employee with the team, staff, coaching, player, whatever your position was, you couldn't purchase stock even in a publicly traded company that had any sort of involvement in gambling. And I'm not talking about a gambling company, but a publicly traded company that might have a gambling interest. Not only was I not allowed to buy stock in a publicly traded company on you know, the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, neither was my husband. So the club had to educate me and I had to go home and tell my husband, hey, when you're buying stock, you can't buy any of this. It's the job of the teams to educate people. What really popped my eyes about the Detroit situation was it wasn't simply the players, but there were staff involved and staff terminated for such things as well. That suggests to me they were not doing the right job imparting the information. The, uh, I don't know. How do I sort of say this? So, like, I, I understand that you have to have rules in place, and I think you, what you just explained, you explained very, very well. Do you see sort of the, I don't know, the maybe hypocrisy is not the right word, but the sort of the the amusement, if that's it, of so these Lions players could like not make college football bets on the facility, right? Okay, literally, if they walked across the street to the local Applebee's. They could make the bet, and it's not a suspension. Yeah, that one that that seems that seems insane to me. I get that's the rule, but am I crazy to think that's that's still kind of insane, just as theoretically? Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I was gleefully or enthusiastically agreeing with you, which is if I could sit in my car, parked in the parking lot across from the property, and do it. But I can't do it from the property. And that's why I keep emphasizing the point. It is absolutely unfair to expect players to know that. Because why in the heck would anyone think if I can do it from my parking lot down the, my car down the street, but I can't do it 
on the team property, nobody's going to think of that on their own. That's why I emphasize the importance of educating players um, by the teams. It's their responsibility. The other one I'll throw out to you is this. Let's say you're a player and let's say you play for Las Vegas or you play for a team in Jersey where there's also, you know, gambling in Atlantic City, et cetera. And it's your night off. And you're going out with your significant other or just on a date or just with friends. And you're walking through a casino because there's a really nice restaurant in the casino. And a fan stops you and says, hey, can I take your picture? And you do the thing every team wants its players to do and the league wants its players to do. You graciously say, sure, I'll take a picture with you. And you stand with the fan and someone snaps a picture and you have no idea that that picture, you are standing in front of something that says sports book behind you. You didn't go into the sports book. You didn't place a bet, but now you've got the appearance of an impropriety. This, there's just a lot to navigate and the teams really need to do all they can to help the players navigate these things. Yeah. And I actually think the more interesting, um, I think the more interesting navigation is for college football players who, um, and again, maybe the same rule exists in the NFL that as a college football player, you can't make any kind of bets on campus. But, you know, that's where like, you know, you're 18, 19, you're not a professional, you don't have agents and lawyers around you, hopefully good ones to sort of counsel you. Um, And it's right there sitting on your phone. Um, That's to me where like, um, all this stuff, I think gets really, really scary. And I'm not talking about like fixing games or anything. I'm just talking about you know, high-profile players who might have uh, name-image likeness deals, so which means they have a lot of discretionary income, who um, just are betting like on sports, uh, you know, all day on their campus. Um, great point. This one to That's watch. Great point. The, the the Lions one is a the Lions one is a one is one to watch because of some of the things that you just said, and I think they'll be very smart lawyers, much like yourself, who may be able to um, get suspensions down. Um, for some of these that are not specific to betting on games in the league that I, I understand, like that's the third rail. Absolutely. And that's that's going to be tricky for the player association to overcome. But that one guy on the lions, or maybe it was two who were betting on college games in the facility. I, I don't know. I feel like they have a good case to me, at least to knock that down. But um, a- absolute bright line difference between betting on professional football when you're a player in the league versus, you know, to use the example I did, Oh, wow. My, you know, my college is in the NC2A tournament and wow, the women's team is in and the men's team is, and I'm going to, that, that's a bright line difference to me. Um, And again, I don't understand the difference between doing it from your car parked across the street from the facility versus your car that's on team property, because arguably you're on the facility in the facility when you're there as well. Um, But again, Detroit needed to do a better job explaining all of this to the players regularly I, I agree and by the way you also can't tell me there's a difference between let's say the coaches and personnel staff of one nfl team they decide to do a ncaa pool with their pick brackets the entry fee is 250 bucks you know what i'm saying like amy so you get to a ten thousand dollar pool <laughs> no difference there They're, those guys are just Great doing point. it on a piece of paper with like uh you know all sorts of money in a in a bowl the the players just did it on their phones it's the same thing at least like that's how i would look at it anyway Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Um, let's finish up with something that gave us both joy. We both have enjoyed <laughs> we both have enjoyed the um the story of Wrexham, the uh the the National League uh soccer team that uh was um for many, many years, um, floundering in lower level English league football, Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElroy, um, bought that team to Hollywood actors, uh, made a documentary about their, uh, desire to try to get promoted. It's been incredibly fun to watch. And then this week they finally did it. They beat Borm Wood to, uh, get automatic promotion in one of the great, um, national league races in, in English soccer of all time against Knott's County. Um, you know, Amy, you, you you cheer for Wrexham on Twitter sometimes and you get sort of like accused of being a bandwagon fan and where were you? Who cares? Like, I don't care. Like, it's such <laughs> a great story. And I know both of us really appreciated it. And I just love the fact that like I'm able to like enjoy and sort of root for something that has nothing to do with my everyday life. And it's kind of far away from me and it's just different. And I imagine you probably felt like had similar feelings to that. I have a very, very similar fan feeling. And the concept of bandwagon fan is hilarious because this is the first time I've ever been a fan of a soccer team. <laughs> right. And that is not to in any way malign soccer, but my entire career has been the other kind of football because, of course, now I've learned from the people I know with Wrexham and otherwise, you know, they're both called football, which we've all known, um, football or football. Um, but you know what? Until this year, until the last couple months, I don't remember whether it was March, I think it was March, um, I went to my first ever soccer game in person. You know, I, I like Wrexham. I'm not a bandwagon fan. It's the first time I've been a fan. It's just a great story, as you've said. Look, I've spent my entire career in sports. Sports has been so important to me. I understand the business of sports. I cried myself to sleep the night we lost the Super Bowl. I take sports seriously, but I share all that with you because at the end of the day, sports is supposed to be for fun. And what they are doing in Wrexham is fun. And they're doing so many things the right way. People were so dubious when Rob and um, Ryan bought the team. But you know what? They're doing things right in the community. They're doing things right with, with um, charitable endeavors. They're obviously doing things right on the, wait, watch, I'm going to use this word, on the pitch. They're, they're just doing things right. And they're having fun. And I love that it's a fun story. And oh, by the way, you were kind enough to reference you negotiate like a girl. Well, guess what? Their CEO is a girl. Yes, indeed. Um, the thing about the, the thing about like this, you you have dealt with this far more than most people. Like there are celebrity owners who pop in in professional sports all the time, whether it's big leagues like the NFL or or you know smaller niche franchises. What I really appreciate about these guys is one. I think at this point, you 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 can't but like 
assume and presume and believe that they're in because they're clearly in. And then secondly, the real like economic impact that these guys have had on that town is massive. Like all, massive. The, all the townspeople say it, the leader, the government leadership of the town say it, they've increased. I mean, you, you'll probably be able to figure this out with some uh, economists. They've increased tourism into that town. I, I don't even want to guess how many multifolds, but massive multifolds. And so, you know, they helped like change the course of many people's lives. And that's part of the reason why I think this is a great story on top of the fact that they won. Yeah. They're, and, they're, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. They've rolled up their sleeves and everything you just described, they've done in person. They haven't done from a, they are involved in the community. They are entrenched in the community. They really are doing everything right. And to that point, I tweeted recently that whichever ownership group ends up purchasing the team from Dan Snyder, assuming the purchase goes through, which I do assume it will, they should pick up the phone and they should call Rob and they should call Ryan and say, help us, please. (laughs) And you know what? We'll give you a little piece of the team. Come help us learn how to run a team the way you're running Wrexham. Well, the one thing that the one thing, um, you know, the one thing that. I have no problems with it. Maybe some do because I, and I get like people who don't like, uh, or just who are sort of have, who are averse to Hollywood by, by nature. But like the, the, I have no problems with these guys sort of trying to create documentaries or trying to commercialize it. That was, that was the only, they were, I should take that back. They were using their fame and celebrity to help build equity in the brand. That's just good, smart business. That's their killer app. The killer app is that they are Hollywood people who people are interested in learning about. So I I don't begrudge them at all. And then I think, um, like you said, like there are in soccer in particular, um, you know, I know you're just getting into it, but there are a lot of owners who don't show up. You know, they're just, they're sort of absentee owners. They own it from afar. You know, maybe they'll show up for like a championship game or something like that. And these guys, you know, they've, if nothing else, they've made the journey across the pond and hung out in this tiny Wales town. So, uh, well, I, you're absolutely yeah. right. And you're absolutely right. And the other thing they're doing, not just for Wrexham, but for the league as a whole is bringing a lot of creativity to it, you know, streaming and, and, and they're sort of pushing other like, Oh, oh we've got to be trying these new things too. Cause these new guys are trying these new things. And some people are going along kicking and screaming. Some people are th- thinking, wow, we can learn from them. But listen, Deitch, let me tell you something. They're coming to San Diego to play, and I think you should come out. You should do a whole big story, and I'll meet you in San Diego, and I'll treat to ice cream. I, I would take that. Of course, we have San Diego staffers who will probably be getting that assignment because the athletic, and I have no problem with that, would be wise to save the uh, $2,000 to fly me and, and house me up there <laughs> as opposed to the same. But I, I'm happy for him. And, and again, like uh, I would have ne- without this, without that journey, I, I would have never known who um, like Knotts County is or Uvoli town. So I've learned a lot about the national league and that's, you can't put any price tag on that. Like they, they've got me uh, consuming or interested in that league. And I will be even with Wrexham being promoted. I will keep my eye on that league. Maybe I'll purchase a game like uh, watching it on um, uh, on streaming. And so it's a great story. And uh, um, just to watch that fan base, like, uh, um, take the field, like, you know, it's just great. Like, it, even with pro sports, Amy, you know this. Like, yeah, I mean, it's cool that the Chiefs won, but it's just different. You know what I mean? It's a pro team. It's a billion-dollar franchise. It was just different to see that Wrexham Club win. And that that's 
that was great. It just, it felt a little more, even though it's professional, it felt a little more pure to me. And that's why I thought it was awesome. Well, I'm going to give you a little tease right now. That's what we've, I've learned that that's a, a TV expression, a little tease. Yep. Can't say more than this. Right. Keep your eye on season two of that docuseries. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Ooh, I'd love to, maybe a little Amy Trask cameo would be awesome. All right. Uh, Amy Trask is a NFL analyst for CBS Sports. Like she said, she'll be on, uh, where is that going to air this week with Draft Special? CBS Sports Network sometime? Uh, yep. It's on Wednesday from 4 to 7 California time because, of course, you know yep. me. I always do everything in California time. Right. And, right, and uh, on CBS Sports Network. Okay. So we'll check that out and then obviously follow Amy on Twitter and whatever other social media platforms. And then she's back in the studio come uh, August slash September for uh, CBS. Amy, it's a great of you uh, – to chat, I will. Both of us will continue to follow Wrexham as they uh, head into uh, EFL uh, League Two. I will. I will continue to uh, email you and direct message you if something big is coming up for that franchise. But uh, great to catch up with you and uh, can't thank, wait. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Honest to gosh, really and truly, my honor and pl- privilege and pleasure to do so. Well, I'm paying you absolutely nothing, so thank you for coming on. <laughs> you work cheap, Amy Trask, everyone. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Well, as I said at the top, I bring in Ben Strauss, staff writer for the Washington Post. And he initially was going to come on to talk about a really, really interesting piece he wrote, which uh, was uh, headlined, How Cable Changed Sports and What Happens When Fans Cut the Cord. Um, And it was just a really interesting kind of historical look as to why, um, why we're here now in the RSN universe in relation to sports and what that means for viewers, but um, literally uh, an hour ago, uh, as we are taping this on Monday morning, uh, ESPN announced um, its uh, one of its round of its long uh, rumored to be, but unfortunately true, layoffs. And so ESPN began informing employees um, this week the job cuts are part of Disney's broader, uh, larger job cuts, which uh, the parent company wants to eliminate 7,000 or so jobs. Um, I don't believe, and Ben and I will talk about this, that there's any, there's any there's not, you're not going to read, I don't think, this week about any well-known front-facing names. Uh, this week will be um, behind-the-scenes people, a lot of long-tenured people at ESPN who make that place go. One person who did publicly uh, inform that he has been let go is Mike Saltis, who is the second longest ESPN employee. He's a longtime public relations communications staffer. Um, both Ben and I have dealt with him for many, many years. I certainly respect um, his passion and how he uh, was very professional with the press, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, Ben, as I bring you on, you know we have seen this now. The steady drumbeat of media layoffs time and time again. And now this week, it's ESPN's uh, 
turn in this unfortunate spotlight. I imagine, um, like many of us in the space, you had sort of been informed or you, you sort of reported out that this stuff was coming this week. Yeah, this, uh, the, the, I think what did we heard about this as soon as Iger announced that there were going to be 7,000 cuts a few months ago, he comes back and in his you know, first big announcement, there's the, they reorg the company and ESPN is one of the pillars, but, but as part of that, it's 7,000 jobs and is, you know, one of the, you know, biggest pieces of, of Disney. It's, it's impossible for those 7,000 jobs not to, 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 you know, affect ESPN. But yeah, anybody, you talk to anybody at ESPN in the past weeks, people have been scared, sort of waiting for this hammer to drop. And it's, um, you know, it's tough for anybody that works there. Yeah, Jimmy Pitaro, um sent out a memo to the staff. Uh, that's the, the chairman of ESPN early this morning. Um, as we're taping this, I, I from what I understand, there'll be more, um, there'll be more memos to the staff as sort of more um, cuts are made. And, you know, again, the the memo is sort of what you expect from these CEOs um, you know, talking about like, you know, things like as they're, you know, as they advance their core segment of Disney with more operational control and responsibility, they have to find ways to become efficient and nimble. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, decision making is very, very tough on this. It's the same language that we hear from almost any media executive. I'm not trying to shit on Pitaro here, uh, but it's. You know, it is what it is. And you just sort of like if, you, if you're paying attention to the sort of media space, you've been reading this sort of what seems to be almost a weekly occurrence. We just saw it with BuzzFeed News, et cetera. And so, um, um, so it's ESPN's turn in this unfortunate uh, place this week. And again, you know, I'm, I don't know if Ben has lived it. I lived it through Sports Illustrated um, through many, 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 many rounds. I lived it at Sportsnet in Canada. Um, sort of all comes for us uh, – eventually comes for us. I, say, I guess I would say, I guess there's like, there's two things that sort of, right. Are specific to the ESPN thing is, is when Iger came back last year, um, you know, what precipitated that was, was I think that Disney plus had lost like a billion and a half dollars in one quarter. And so I think some of this is you're coming back to streaming economics have been just brutal for anybody that went all in. I mean, Disney, it's the future in a lot of ways and and that's where you have to meet people, but it's, it's a huge, huge loss leader right now. So, you know, you're paying the piper for all of this investment in Disney plus in some ways. And then also, you know, ESPN is making its priorities known. You're going to pay Joe Buck, $18 million. You're going to pay Troy Aikman, $18 million or whatever the numbers are. And you don't have infinite dollars to go around for everybody. And so, um, those are sort of the two things that I would pull out specifically from ESPN is right. Like you have the streaming economics and then, you know, you have priorities and decisions being made and, and who is worth a lot of money and, and who is expendable. And that's sort of like the really, you know, black and white way to look at it. And I think in, in media more than ever, more and more companies, not specific to ESPN, there are people that, that companies, you know, sort of the sub-stack sub economy where there are people who are worth lots and lots of money and more people who are worth increasingly less money and, and sort of the haves and have-nots of, of the media world. And, and this would seem to me to fit, fit in that, you know, dynamic as well. So, yeah, so... To sort of follow on what you just said, sort of there's a couple things there. One, 
ESPN undoubtedly has to make and has made its decision in terms of what sports rights they're going to purchase. And that's where the, obviously the big money comes off the books and they have to make decisions and they have d- very important decisions coming up, including the NBA and college football playoffs. And we're talking billions of dollars there. So they have to make decisions on that. That's corporate wide decisions. Then when you get to more of the um, employee decisions, Ben, as you said, what's very clear and has been clear for a long time. And I think you talk to any media analyst or, you know, sources in the business or other CEOs, what they've all said is that the high-end talent, generally speaking, is going to be okay. You make a decision, if you're an ESPN, that Stephen A. Smith is worth $12 million and Troy Aikman is worth $19 million and Joe Buck's worth $18 million annually and Kirk Herbstreet, you know, go down the list of whoever you think, like you said, Ben, are must-haves or youth or differentiators. Me and you, Ben, can disagree on the differentiators. But that's CSPN management's decision. They've made who they think are the differentiators, and they're going to pay them significant money. Where it seems that the on-air talent's going to really get hit are the people in the middle. And the people in the middle are still in the 99th percentile of U.S. incomes. We're talking, you know, 200, 300, 400, 500,000 people, $500,000 annually for um, for talent, you know, people who owe SportsCenter, uh, people who might be the you know third uh, third play by play person or the, the sixth analyst on college football, that's where I think the squeeze is going to come. And I think what clearly ESPN is going to do more than laying off people is they will let contracts expire and not resign people. Or when people are coming up then for renewal, they will offer them significant pay cuts. We saw this as a perfect example a couple years ago with Kenny Maine who, you know, went public and said, I think went public on this podcast and said, like, I I was offered a 61% pay cut for my salary and I turned it down. I decided not to to go. That's what's going to happen with a lot of talent at ESPN. When their contract's up, they're going to be asked to take significant pay cuts, or in some cases, they're just not going to be re-upped. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of savings. Uh, I would just say to the, and then I'll let you go, Ben. I would just say to the people who are listening to this podcast, like, don't expect, like, to read some, like, Kirk Herbstreet's been laid off or Troy Aikens. Well, that's not how it works. I mean, they have most of these people have long term or term contracts. And for ESPN to let them go, they would have to buy them out. You wouldn't buy them out. You just keep them on the air until and let them do their jobs until their contracts are up. Yeah. My understanding is this round and then there's going to be another round. And that is before the end of the summer. And that's these are strictly focused on salary employees not contract employees which is what talent are so you're talking about people like mike soltis and and executives management um and then independently from that you have talent deals that come up talent deals that are not renewed talent that are offered you know pay cuts um and that'll be ongoing but this round you know what this note today is about and then this next round this next wave that comes after this, which I think comes before in the next couple of months before summer, that's still salaried employees, executives, management, that type. And so if you're looking for talent that comes later, um, cause they're not salary sort of indefinitely employed. They're on these term contracts. I do want to make one note just because, um, so far he's the only person that has, um, that has come out publicly and said that he was part of this layoffs. And that's Mike Soltis who uh, worked for ESPN for, let me make sure I have this right, Ben. I, I think it's, is it 43 years or 40, 43 years. Okay. Second longest tenured employee at that place. That's crazy. Just to think about the, literally the, 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 you know, there's only one other person 
who has more time at ESPN than Mike Soltis. I, it might be Vital. I actually don't know who it is, but uh, maybe, I think it's, maybe it is. Maybe yeah, it is. I think it's LaPlaca. Is Chris LaPlaca? Chris LaPlaca, the head of PR, okay. Is the actual longest tenure. Wow, interesting. Okay, um, you know Mike Soltis, who I know listens to this podcast, um, has been someone I've dealt with now for uh, a decade plus. Ben has probably you know dealt with him for a long time as well, and. What I would say about Mike Saltis is I always considered him incredibly professional. We, we were on the other side of many topics or, um, you know, sort of different sides of the aisle, to use a bad cliche. But he never lied to me. He was always professional. He, I felt like, defended ESPN from an honest place, even if I disagreed with that place. He ferociously defended talent, which is what you always want in a PR person. And I would say that he was not... You know, he was reasonable when it came to drinking the Bristol Kool-Aid. You could have a conversation with him. He wasn't, he wasn't gone, like, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, sort of bleeding ESPN and not sort of being able to see any of the other sides. And that's a bad loss, man, because I, I'm a big believer in institutional knowledge. I saw this at Sports Illustrated during all my years there. You can't replace this stuff. And management oftentimes does not, in my opinion, value it nearly as importantly as it should. And you start losing the core and the soul of a place when you get rid of institutional knowledge. And so I think it's a, a, an absolutely brutal, terrible decision. I get that they have to make cuts, but, man, that wouldn't, that's not a cut that I would have done. Um, and uh, I, I wish Sheltus the best. I wish his family the best. At, uh, you know, I get it. Everybody in the media, eventually it's their time. But, Ben, I, I got to tell you, man, that's, that to me is just a terrible decision. You don't get rid of people – with that kind of institutional knowledge, at least in my management structure. Yeah, I've worked with him or I've, you know, dealt with him on a number of occasions, absolute total pro. Um, and I wish him the best and, you know, his family and, um, yeah, just a, a real pro to deal with. Um, you know, everything you want in a PR person gets back to you, tells you the truth. And, um, you know, whether you're writing something they like or not, like, uh, Total pro. Ben, you know, I mean, we're, you know, I know you have to write about this today and I'm sure you're going to be writing more about it as, uh, as it, as it heads forward. Um, one last one on this and then we'll get to your story. I, I'd like to be optimistic here, but I, all the signs sort of tell me that we're basically working now in a, in a world of perpetual layoffs where staffs get leaner and leaner and leaner. Um, and if you look at ESPN, I mean, I guess, you know, if like ESPN Plus gets a flood of subscriptions over the next 10 years and that business becomes a juggernaut, well, then, yeah, maybe there won't be layoffs, right? Because there's just so much money floating in. But I, I just, I don't know. I, the economics of all this to me feels like all these companies are going to try to do um, the same or more with less in terms of staffing. Um, I hope to be wrong, but that's how I see it. And I wonder how you see it. I think that the... The ESPN, first and foremost, you know, fundamentally what it is, is is a distribution vehicle for live sports above all else. Um, and that's the decision the company has made. I think it's hard to argue with, like, economically, right? Like, you're trying to sign up people for ESPN Plus. Like, they're going to sign up to watch live sports. They're not going to sign up for shoulder programming and, you know, uh, other content. Um, but that means fewer content creators, fewer journalists, certainly, um, 
and that that is the business model um live sports and some number of people to in most cases promote those live sports um and that that is the business model going forward um and certainly i think you can make some economic arguments for that but certainly you also lose some things you know from the heyday of espn and sort of some of the things that made espn the worldwide leader in sports um and yeah i think that that's absolutely right sort of where we're headed is more with less and that's not specific espn that's specific across all of media I want to get to what Ben was coming on here today initially. I'll just let people know that, you know, I'm going to table the ESPN layoff talk for the moment, but I will obviously have other people come on, you know, whether that's the usuals like Chad Finn, et cetera. Um, The story's not, unfortunately, not going away. You will see people get signed um, uh, when it comes to talent. Andrew Marchand in the New York Post the other day uh, wrote a story about Marcus Spears re-signing. You're going to see people re-sign with that company. They're not going to go out of business. Um, and then I do think, though, over the course of the next months and let's say over the next 12 months, uh, 16 months, you will see people who are front-facing people who don't get re-signed or who, who sort of announce that they're leaving ESPN or going somewhere else. And I think that's what the cycle's going to be. Um, ben, I really, you know, your piece, I was glad to see it got a lot of pickup because it's very clear that you and um, your colleagues did some research on this. The graphs on this were really, really uh, interesting to read. And, you know, to sort of the Cliff Notes version of this is just that the local sports TV model, I think, as you wrote, is in upheaval. It's threatening the foundations of number of sports, including MLB, NHL and NBA. Um, it was crazy to me to see that 80. This is a great stat from you. 83 percent of baseball's inventory is consumed on RSNs. That's incredible right now. Seventy eight percent of I think it's with the NHL's inventory was consumed on RSNs. So they're so tied to these models in terms of how fans watch their product. What do you, as we talk today on April 24th, what do you think is going to happen here with uh, this industry? That's a mess with some of the, the places in bankruptcy. Um, I think sports fans are just starting to pick up on how this is going to impact them, but it's going to impact them significantly. Yeah. I guess like the, the real, I mean, sort of what's going to happen, I guess we can, we can guess, but I think like, as you know, we did the story, like the biggest thing is just how great this, this cable system, this cable ecosystem was for sports, right? Like if you are a team, you want to make the most money and you want to reach the most people, right? Those are the two objectives and like cable TV beginning in the 1980s, you know, with the rise of cable homes and cable companies want to attract customers. It was like perfection because you basically got more and more money and reached more and more people from the middle of the 1980s until 2010. It's like, that was it. Um, and since then, you've been getting more and more money, but you've been reaching less and less people. And that's sort of the the equation that, that people are going to have to reckon with um, is it's going to be impossible to, to reach the maximum number of people and get the maximum amount of money. Um, and so you make a sacrifice somewhere, right? Like MLS has taken money with Apple TV, right? They got, they got the uh, amount of money they wanted from Apple TV, but no one is ever going to casually turn on an MLS game now. Right. And that's what you had with cable, wherever you were at a bar, you were at home, you're flipping channels, right? Like you would stumble across these things and you would, reach people. And so 
MLS basically took the money and they have no reach. And this is, this is the equation that people are going to run into. And maybe there's some sort of hybrid model and, and, you know, maybe baseball teams want to be partly on broadcast. They want to be partly on cable. They want to be partly on streaming and you get some sort of hodgepodge of they get, you know, as much reach as they can and as much money as they can. But again, like with cable for 20 years, you turned on the TV every single night and there was the game. And that's, sort of where we're, we're moving away from. And I think it's, you know, maybe you, you figure out how to get as much money, but you're never going to reach people in the same way. That's the interesting thing that sort of is a takeaway from your piece. Um, and that is, um, and we've seen this, I think, with baseball in many ways, which is why I think Manfred wants to go back to a different place, is that you're asking your most hardcore fans to pay significant money for all these different products so that they can get um, the entire schedule if they wish. You know, if you're a Yankee fan, obviously, I think, did you have this in your piece of a Yankee fan? You have to basically subscribe to multiple different places in order to get the games, including Apple TV, you know, which there will be uh, a couple Yankee games on there. Um, you know, that's very, very tricky in terms of, you know, do you, as I talked, I had Michael Nathanson on this podcast a couple weeks ago, and like he really was pitching the NBA is going to sort of go after reach. And that's why he thought like national you know, over-the-air network broadcasters would be back in vogue. So if you're thinking about this and you were, like, writing about this, and it seems like there's two paths. Like, one, these places are just going to load up on as many different outlets as willing to pay them, so they'll make a fortune of money, but you as the consumer are going to have to subscribe to five different things to get all your games. Or do you think any chance it flips back where, like, if you're a Manfred, I'm just making this up off the top of my head, okay, you decide to really go much more heavier on Fox. Or maybe you bring, like, NBC or CBS in, and you try to be like, you know, we want these games, we want the national Wednesday night baseball game of the week kind of thing. How do you, it was interesting, because Nathanson really pitched for the NBA, they should go national. It's a different game than baseball, I get. Bigger stars, et cetera. But I feel like some of these big leagues are going to have to think about this in terms of, like, you know, 15, 20 years down the road, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna split between seven different, well, maybe not be seven. You're going to split between three different streaming services, or are you going to try to go back to, you know, making the assumption broadcast TV still exists? Do you want to go back to broadcast TV? Yeah, I think the, uh, I guess for baseball, the the thing is, right, like nobody watches national baseball games, right? Like ESPN. Not right, like not right now, they don't. And, Correct. right, it doesn't really matter where you put the game. Yeah. I mean, ESPN gets, you know, I don't want... Not that nobody, right? Like, but, but it's not a national yeah, draw, to, right? Like, like right. baseball is couple super million. popular, right? Like the Pittsburgh Pirates have been terrible forever. People still watch the hell out of those games in Pittsburgh, in Kansas City, even these places where these teams have been terrible for, you know, X number of years, right? Like these are super, super popular, super, super valuable content in local markets, but it's much less valuable nationally, right? Like you start throwing baseball games on like national CBS, like, are people watching? Maybe, but you're basically just getting the, you know, the people from the two cities where the two teams are playing, right? Like it's not, you're not pulling Although in. The, Man, the Manfred argument would be if we get him on that, if we get Mike Trout on national TV, you're, you, you're more interested in Mike Trout, thus you're more interested in the game. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right, maybe. Maybe. I mean, like he, that's, that is, that, as of today, that is not true. Maybe it could be true in three years, four years, five years. But as of today, that just hasn't been true, right? Uh, the NBA, I think, is in a little bit of a better position, right? They 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 do get more um, national viewership. Um, and they think, like, the NBA, right? So the NBA could go more with reach 
and do something on broadcast TV, right? Like a lot of interest, like with NBC, what they're going to do with NBC. Um, but maybe they can recoup some of that lost revenue internationally, right? Like that's, that's sort of like their trump card, or they would tell you that's their trump card, right? We're not the NFL here, but we can, you know, get money from all these places in Europe. Maybe we can get money from Asia, right? Like they can recoup some of that money, maybe internationally and, and take a little less money to, to prioritize reach in the United States. They have a little bit more optionality there, I think. Um, but to go back, I, this is, it's, it's less of a popularity. It's not a popularity thing, right? Like this is super valuable content. The question is sort of how you distribute it and how you maximize revenue. Like that's the occasion. It's, it, that's the equation. It's not a question of like, nobody watches this stuff for baseball. You know, even though people aren't watching nationally, it's still like the number one rated stuff in all these local markets. So it's, it's a question, what much more of a question of, of revenue versus reach than it is of nobody's watching this or it's not popular anymore. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, last one for me. And again, I'm going to ask you to play, uh, you know, uh, fortune teller, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, amateur. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's like a great word for the people who, futurist. Yeah, I'm asking you to play futurist. Just the, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the best new job title oh, in America. Oh, phenomenal. That, I mean, the greatest job ever is... Futurist sports media columnist. Greatest job ever, consultant or futurist. You pick your, pick your, pick your poison. Um, if, indeed, there's a world that exists where you can get direct-to-consumer um, NHL, MLB, NBA, etc., where literally, like, I can buy singular games or i can buy the entire golden state warriors schedule like that world obviously would be incredibly consumer friendly but and here's my buttons what i want to get to you where it's really hard for these leagues is to figure out what is the price point on that and how do you do it and that's what i'm always fascinated when i see like um you know whether it was the youtube deal or whether it was Amazon, like to see where the like for the yankees like what where the price point is to buy this stuff because that to me like is the whole ball game. And I don't, I, I honestly don't know the answer to this, but like how much are sports, how much would a hardcore Cincinnati Reds fan pay? If I can tell you, you can get every Reds game um, for the season. You just have to pay me this money, this direct dollar amount. You know what I mean? Saying Ben, like that's, yeah. that's the fascinating one to me. And then on top of that, you have the additive stuff where the national, the games are still on national. There's no blackout. So that's how I get my money from the, ESPN and CBS is the role, but that to me is like, if this is where things are heading, this is where all these places got to figure out how many people can we get to purchase this, and what is the price point that we can we can put down to get a to get a business going. 
Well, right, like the, the we didn't mention this, but the great sort of the greatest thing we're talking about revenue and reach of cable is that every sports fan was subsidized by all these people who didn't watch sports. So somebody might not have turned on the Yes Network ever. They're still paying six dollars a month uh, for that network. And so, you know, the, the Yankees fan who's watching 160 Yankees games, you know, pays a hugely reduced rate because all of these non-Yankees fans are, are, are paying the, the, the price for it. And so the price goes way up for sports fans or, you know, for teams and leagues to, to recoup this. And I don't, I don't see how at some point this doesn't have an impact on like valuations or player salaries. Right. Cause, cause one of the issues with the RSN deals and you can look at one of the things with the diamondbacks, right. That that's the team that, that Bally's was like, we're not going to pay this anymore. And it's not even that what they're paying today, like they signed this long-term deal where the price increases like a ton, like over the next number of years. Right. And so like most of these long-term deals, a lot of them in baseball, 10, 20 years, they've got these huge escalator clauses. So you're not even talking about what is the average annual value for 20 years, right? You're talking about these are huge increases year over year at the same time that you're losing revenue. So Bally's is like this, we can't pay this. We can't, we're going to lose, like, it doesn't make any sense for us. Um, and so I, what is the price point? People have talked about like, what is the, what's the, over the, the direct to consumer price of ESPN, right? If you, you want ESPN and I don't, it's 60 bucks, 60 bucks a month. I don't know. Um, and like the same, the same thing is going to be true for like the local networks. And I have no idea. I have no idea what it's going to cost, but way more. I mean, like, what do I pay? Like, so I'm a huge White Sox fan and I live in DC. And so I pay the MLB TV. I think I pay $150 a year to watch <laughs> after the start of the season. I can't say I'm sitting down and watching every game, but you know, at least for the first week of the season, I was watching every game, but I don't know. Is $150 going to get you in market? Uh, probably not. Yeah, it's, it's it's. I mean, again, this is this is just the beginning of this conversation. It's going to be really fascinating to see how baseball um, sort of handles uh, all the RSNs out there. Ben Strauss is a staff writer for the Washington Post. Check out his piece, which ran. Uh, I think the, when did that run, Ben? What date? Last okay, week. Last week. Uh, ape, uh, how cable changed sports and what happens when fans cut the cord? You follow all of Ben's work on the Washington Post. You know, I, I probably will still keep doing this, but, you know, let's, let's see where the actual thing goes. You can follow Ben Strauss on Twitter, but, I mean, you know, who knows what will happen with that service over the next uh, 24 hours or literally one hour. But as of now, Ben Strauss is still there, and so you can follow his work, which I'm sure he will send out. Ben, man, it's good of you to come on today. It's, uh, it's not a happy day at ESPN, and I know you have to write later on this. So I appreciate you coming on the Sports Media Podcast. I will have you back, and, um, and thanks again. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Amy Trask and Ben Strauss for uh, their time and their insights. If you want to uh, head to the archives, there should be some stuff you'll be interested in. If you're an NHL fan, we did a, uh, a full NHL podcast with Ryan Clark of ESPN and Sports Business Journal's Austin Carp that examined the NHL postseason, how to cover it, and then the, um, the NHL uh, regular season viewership numbers. Had Michael Nathanson on the future of sports media rights on April 17th. That got a lot of amazing feedback. He's one of the top analysts in the country. Um, if you're into sports business, I would check that out. Alan Shipnuck and Howard Beck uh, were on the podcast before. Ryan Rucco, Chantel Jennings, Sabrina Merchant. We did a whole thing on women's basketball. 
Um, if you're in WWE, Michael Cole and Rhea Ripley have been on this podcast in the last couple of months, a couple of weeks. Uh, Holly Rowe, ESPN broadcaster. Again, if you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey and Cadence 13 for their support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.